Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Morning, everybody. So as is my want, we have visual aids. It makes sense, I promise. Uh, for all the, oh, sorry, for all the poor people who happen to be watching only video, there is a wooden duck over here. So every time you see me go over here and do something, I'm doing it to the wooden duck. Uh, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 41. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 24. And the title of today's message is The Futility of Idols. Uh, who here likes courtroom dramas? Anybody? Yeah, yeah big fans, big fans. Uh, so, uh, quick quiz, anyone recognize this image? Ah, you got it, 12 Angry Men. Good, good one, uh, let's see, there's some others. Suits, that's a good one if you like Meghan Markle. Uh, Boston Legal, that was a really popular one for a while. Law and Order, everyone knows Law and Order. Uh, one of the newer ones, How to Get Away with Murder. Anyone recognize that one? Ah, Devil's Advocate, that was good. I say, yeah, not, not. <laughs> clearly Rob liked courtroom dramas. Few Good Men, though the only reason to watch A Few Good Men is for the scene with Jack Nicholson, right? Like, you can't handle the truth. But then there's the greatest of them all. Judge Judy. Best courtroom drama ever. By far, the GOAT. Uh, just like the duck, I swear there is a reason, in fact, to talk about courtroom dramas, and that's because today we are looking at a divine courtroom drama. So if you would, we're going to start in verse 21. We'll read through it real quick, and then we'll pray and proceed. So, starting in verse 21. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the God of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. And this is God speaking to the idols. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome. Or declare to us things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come before you this morning to uh, dig into your scripture, I pray, Lord, that uh, above all, that your truth would be uh, brought out. We know that this is, uh, this is not my pulpit, this is not Rob's pulpit, this is your pulpit. This is where you get to uh, uh, use us as your tools to uh, declare truth to your body. So I pray that you would just give me wisdom to speak truthfully. Anything that is worthwhile, let it uh, stick. Anything that is not, let it fall away. And uh, just help the congregation to be uh, faithful to listen and to hear with hearts that are ready to learn and ears that are yearning to uh, know your truth. I pray this in your name. Amen. So, uh, there are three questions that uh, God is, we're going to uh, pose that God is going to answer for us. One, what does God think of idols? Two, what does God think of those who worship idols? And three, when we identify idols in our own lives, what can we do about it? So, we're going to visit the divine courtroom. So, setting the stage, we've got God, the judge. He is sitting black robes, declaring what is right and what is wrong. We have the idols, the accused, my stand-in, the wooden duck. And we have us, the jury. 
we're getting to watch this divine drama play out to see what is the result of this. So starting in verse 21, we have God gaveling in. You know, there's the great moment where you got the wooden gavel and then he says, present your case, right? So verse 21, set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the God of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. So God opens up the floor to the idols. Says, bring your proofs, bring your case. Nothing. So God's going to put forth three tests. Say, all right, you claim to be a God. I've got three tests for you. Test number one, a test of perception. Test number two, a test of prophecy. And test number three, a test of power. Rob approves because I managed to make it three Ps in proper order. So perception, we're going to be looking at understanding, wisdom, prophecy. Can you tell the future? And power, do you have the ability to affect the world? Can you do anything? So let's look at test number one, a test of perception. So continuing on from where we left off, we're now uh, 22B. God has said, bring forth your case, prove to me who you are. The first test he offers is this test of perception. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome. Tell me what happened in the past. Stuff like, this is easy. Historians can do this. Tell me, tell me what happened in the past, but not just what happened in the past, but also what it means. Because if you are divine, if you can affect the world, if you can do things, not only can you know what happened, but you know what it means. We know how difficult this is nowadays, right? Like you look at even very modern history, something like uh, the, um, a good example was uh, uh, the Vietnam War. So that started uh, as a result of Ho Chi Minh starting a revolution uh, in communism. If you look at his history as a man, before he started all of the stuff in Vietnam, he was actually in France learning about two competing political philosophies, democracy and socialism. And he approached both sets of governments to try to get someone to help him free his country from uh, uh, the colonization of France. He was basically trying to, trying to get someone to say, we will help you become an independent nation so you can guide your own destiny. And he approached both uh, groups and tried to get support from either of them. He did not get support from the democratic group he did get support from the socialist group. So what happened? He went back to his country and we had the Vietnam War because we had Russia coming in, supplying a bunch of stuff. And then all of those downstream consequences came as a result of that one choice. Which direction was he gonna go? Which group was he gonna get support from? We can understand that now as historians having looked back and spent a lot of time looking at it. But if you were a god, if you were the god, you would have been able to look at that situation understand all of the impetuses behind it, understand that this was a person who was a leader of men who was going to make a choice about his country one way or the other, and been much more intelligent about the kind of de decisions you could make. Even today, we're watching crazy things happen in Afghanistan, and if you have any time today, you need to spare some prayers for the Christians who are stuck in that country right now. It is, it is getting very dark. Uh, ask anyone what that means, and you'll get, you know, put 10, uh, uh, experts on foreign matters into a room and ask them what's happening in Afghanistan and you'll have 12 opinions because nobody knows. We are not gods. So God offers this first test. It says, tell me what happened in the past and tell me what it means. Silence. He gets no reply. So then test number two. Prophecy. This one's 
pretty easy, right? Like this is even one of the tests that God offers for whether or not you should trust someone as a prophet. There's three things that he looks for. Everything you say has to agree with what came before. Uh, everything that you say is going to happen has to happen. And you have to do some kind of sign or wonder that is completely miraculous. It could not be explained through natural means. And that's how someone would signify that they were a prophet and they spoke on behalf of God. So God takes just one of those and applies it to these false idols and says, tell me what's going to happen in the future. All right, let's continue on the very uh, latter half of verse 22 and going into verse 23 now. Declare to us things to come. Tell us what's to come hereafter that we may know you are God's. If you're in charge of this world, if you are sovereign, then you know what's going to happen. And God does. God has told us things that will happen. He has prophesied things that will come to pass, and they have come to pass. We know that he is a God because of that. And so he puts the same to the test here. Says, tell me what's going to happen. Nothing. No reply. So then test number three, just to really rub it in. A test of power. Here we're going to be in verse uh, the latter half again of uh, verse 22 going into verse 23. Oh, sorry, latter half of verse 23. Do good or do harm that we may be dismayed or terrified. That seems pretty easy, honestly. Like, there are, there are people who could do that alive today. People with power who are able to do good and do harm and do things that would either terrify or dismay. Yet, these gods, completely incapable. They have no power. They cannot tell us what happened. They cannot tell us what will happen. And they cannot do anything to change the world as we know it. Three tests. So God renders his verdict. Go on to verse 24. Behold, you are nothing. And your work is less than nothing. I like that second part. It's like, God's like really letting them know, like not only are you nothing, but what you think you can do is less than nothing. Truly, you are worse than useless. You are actually bad. So God offers his judgment of this idols, tells them you're nothing. And we sitting in the jury go, yeah, way to get them, God. Nice job. But then there's a twist. We realize that we are not the jury because we go on and God turns to us and says, an abomination is he who chooses you. This is who we are if we choose idols. So, quick show of hands, how many people have idols in their lives? Every single hand should go up. We are all in some way idolaters and we'll, we'll get to a, a working definition a little bit later, uh, but uh, there's a gentleman named Tim Keller who's got a very good way of putting it. He says, idolatry happens when we make good things into ultimate things. There are some things in our lives that are genuinely good. Providing for your family, good thing. Wanting to uh, uh, excel at your work, good thing. Lots of lists of those. But when you turn them into ultimate things, when they take the place of God in your life, when they become the most important thing in your life, now it's an idol. And we have many, many idols in our lives which makes us abominations. So let's dig into that word a little bit here. Abomination, what does it mean to have an abomination? So the, uh, the Hebrew word is toeva. Uh, that, that's the Hebrew formulation of it. We pronounce it toeva. 
It appears about 103 times in the Bible. Almost always it's in reference to some kind of cultic practice. It's used often in reference to the Canaanites, the Philistines, people who are not Israel. And it indicates that which is abhorrent, loathsome, and disgusting. All right, so when, when the Israelites are going into the nation, God tells them, you are to do this, you are not to do toiva. You are not to do that other thing. And that list of other things is very large. This is a condensed list for you. Uh, it includes things like idolatry, obviously. Unjust weights and measures. It includes uncleanness, incest, adultery, sodomy, child sacrifice, sorcery, sorcery and necromancy, prostitution, cross-dressing. And the list is much longer than that, but that's kind of a condensed version of all that. And I got to tell you, when I was looking into this word and trying to figure out what things qualify as abomination, I was pretty hard convicted over the fact that what I think is really bad versus what God thinks is really bad do not line up. Right? The idea that unjust measures and weights are equivalent to incest, those don't seem equivalent to me. Or the fact that cross-dressing is the equivalent of child sacrifice, that also doesn't seem equivalent to me. And yet I know that because we are Christians and because we come to scripture to find truth, that when my understanding runs up against God's understanding, his is right and mine is wrong. And it makes sense when you think about it. Like why is it that the same people who are pushing very hard for you know, abortion up to the point of birth are also the same people that are very much in favor of transgenderism? They're all tied together. It's a worldview of uh, self-aggrandizement. God is not in charge. He does not get to choose what's right and wrong. I'm in charge. I get to choose what's right and wrong. So that you get to build your own moral categories. You get to build your own uh, moral weighting system where you get to decide what is good and what is bad. We get to decide what is an abomination and what is not. And God tells us, hmm, that's my job. I get to choose who is and who is not abominable. In Luke 16, verses 14 through 15, Christ is talking to the Pharisees, and he offers this very, very heavy judgment of them. He says, The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him, him being Jesus. And Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So God takes sin very seriously. And we would do well to do the same. So now we have to ask the question, we know that there are many things that God considers to be abominable. We know that we fall into that category. So what does God do with things that are abominations? In Deuteronomy 18.12, God says, and because, these because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Now, awesomely, Rob just preached through Joshua, right? So we know exactly what this is talking about. The people were to enter the land of Canaan where terrible things were happening, child sacrifice and all these other horrible things, literally placing their children onto burning piles of embers as offerings so that they could get rain the next season and crops. Terrible, terrible things. And these were abominable. So God rendered judgment. He said, you are going to be driven out. Complete and utter destruction. Man, woman, and children, everyone. This is how God deals with those things that are abominable. So what kind of modern idols do we have that place us into that category? And this is where we get into that Tim Keller uh, uh, definition of idolatry means turning a good thing into an ultimate thing. And there's a lot of stuff nowadays we can look at that fits that definition. 
Uh, first one that we could think of nowadays, particularly in our moment now, would be health. How many times have we made decisions that have been contrary to what God would have us do because it makes us healthier or it runs the risk of being safer? Safety, another thing that we often choose. We will choose our own safety over obedience to God very often. Financial security. Like again, the, the reason it's important for us to think about this in terms of good things being ultimate things is all of these taken in their appropriate course are not bad. But when they are put above God, that's when they become idolatry. Me time, self-care, that's another thing we hear a lot about. Politics, I mean, nowadays, that seems like that's a real rough one to get out from underneath. Everyone's talking about politics. Possessions, consumerism, this has been a problem in the U.S. for a long, long time. Celebrity and status, that can be celebrity in the normal sense of it, like you want to be famous. It also be celebrity in terms of you're like posting stuff to your Facebook because you want to get a lot of likes. Sex. Identity, entertainment, discontentment, anxiety, frustration, anger, envy. The list can go on and on and on. The number of things that we have in our lives that we will elevate above God is almost endless because we're sinners. So the question becomes, what now? In uh, his Institutes, John Calvin wrote, Hominis ingenuum perpetuum ut ita loquar esse idolorum fabricam, which sounds way cooler than the human heart as a perpetual idol factory because it's Latin. But he was on to something. Not only do we have idols in this world that we value higher than God, we will actually manufacture idols in our hearts if there are none there for us to make use of. That's how much we are in rebellion against God without him to help us on our side. We will, we will come up with things to worship other than God. So, really quickly, if you would, turn with me to Judges chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 6. So we are, we've looked at what, uh, uh, what idolatry is, and uh, we've been doing this great study through Joshua. Uh, so Judges follows right after Joshua. We should be real good at turning to Joshua these days. So Judges gives us a little bit of picture what happened right after Joshua finished his conquest. So starting in verse 6 from chapter 2, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. So good. Like, so far, so good. Feeling, feeling all right. But then we go on in verse 8. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. That's a single generation. And parents, if you needed any more reason to be uh, uh, invested in how important it is to raise up your children well and to pass on your faith to them, this is the perfect picture of what happens when we fail to do that. A single generation 
They went from being so faithful that God drove out an entire nation before them and gave them a land of their inheritance to then stoking the Lord's anger by choosing to serve the Baals instead of him. Now, the days of the judges are very, very dark days. Uh, It's kind of a fun book, in a way, to read through, because it goes, it it appeals to our desire for like action-packed stuff, like there's all these crazy stories. It's where the story of Samson comes from, and all these other stories that are, you know, they they fit our uh, uh, modern sensibility for what we like out of stories. But they are dark, dark days. And the reason they are so dark is given to us at the end of Judges. Judges 21, verse 25, in those days, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, if that doesn't describe today, I don't know what does. And if that's one of the darkest periods in Scripture, and the reason it was one of the darkest periods in Scripture is because people did what was right in their own eyes, that is quite a warning for us nowadays of what to expect and why it's so important that we be the remnant that remains faithful and sees God as the most important thing and does not serve the idols. So, We have the question, coming back to our verse, who is an abomination? The answer is, you are. And so am I. So, I promise I'm not going to end the sermon there. What do we do? We know what God does with abominations. We know that we ourselves fit that category. We deserve judgment. Where can we go? Scripture itself condemns us. And I'm happy to say that when Scripture condemns you, you keep reading more Scripture, because there you will find the answer. So keep reading. We were in chapter 41. Let's go to chapter 42. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 9. This is God describing his chosen servant, who is Christ our Savior. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor are my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now remember those three tests that we had? We had the test of perception, the test of prophecy, and the test of power. What did we read in this section just now? We had our test of perception. God declares in verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass. He knows what they are. He knows what they mean. The test of prophecy, he says, new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. He fulfills prophecy. He says earlier, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory is given to no other. He says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. 
He says, I, the Lord, who created the earth and stretched it out, who created the heavens and stretched it out, who gives you breath and soul. God has power. God fits the definition of divinity. He is the only thing that is divine. So when he offers his test to these idols and shows that they're futile and shows us how futile it is for us to turn to them, he doesn't just leave us there. He then follows by giving us a picture of where we can turn. Only God can save us. Only God gets the glory. So it's a little bit shorter message this morning, but I hope that as you leave today and as you go about your week, that you'll take some time to stop and consider where have you made idols in your life? Where have you taken the things that are good and made them into things that are ultimate? Put them above him. Because when you've done that, you've made yourselves into abominations. But it's all right, because God has given you a way out. I mean, it's, not, it's not all right. It's, uh, uh, there's a way past it. <laughs> and the way past it is through God. God is the holy, righteous judge who will not let any sin go unpunished, but he has also given you his son who has paid that price so that when you come before his cross and he looks down to cast judgment, he doesn't see you. He sees himself. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, We want you to know Christ. Someday we're all going to die. We're going to stand before that great white throne and God is going to judge us. Some of us will be deemed to be sheep and will be separated out because God will know that we are covered by the righteousness of his son. Others of us will be deemed goats and we will be put aside for judgment. Our prayer, Randy, Rob, myself, everyone else here who's a believer, our prayer is that everyone in this room, when we die, we will all be counted among sheep. So, if this morning you're not currently a believer, talk to me, talk to Rob, talk to Randy. If you're not comfortable talking to any of the three of us, if you know someone else who's here who you've seen has been faithful and comes week after week and just has a spirit that demonstrates to you that they are filled with God's mercy, talk to them. Access this glory. Access this salvation that is available to you because you don't know. Like tomorrow is not promised to you. There are many, many people now who are, you know, again, not tied to a current event. Many people now who are in a country crossed an ocean that is falling apart, they could have never guessed that would be where they're at one month ago. And yet here they are. Today, we could leave here, you could hop in your car, and you may not come back. We don't know. You're not given tomorrow. So if you're not right with God at this moment, my prayer, my hope, is that you would make yourself right. No longer give yourself to the idols, but instead give yourself to the only one who is worthy of the name divine. If you would, bow your heads with me. Pray real quick. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for this, uh, for this morning as the, uh, as the group comes up to just finish us out with a word of song, Lord. We, we thank you for the, the beautiful way that you have given us the truths of Scripture. 
that when we, when we read, you don't, uh, you don't cut corners with us, you don't try to hide the truth from us, you don't try to make things soft, you simply tell us what is. But Lord, you have been so gracious to us that even as you tell us that we are so foolish to seek after the things that fade away, the things that moths eat, the things that rust destroy, the things that time tears down, even as we seek after those things, you have been so good to us that you have laid down your life on our behalf. While we were yet sinners, while we still hated you, you came down and died on a cross so that we might have a way out of our sin. This morning, Lord, we pray that you would give us grace. If we've already uh, brought our our sins to the foot of the cross, if we have already asked for your grace, Lord, please pour it out all the more upon us and give us victory over sin. Help us to cast down the idols and the Asherah from the high places in our life and only put you as the ultimate thing. And Lord, if we haven't found that salvation yet, please be weighing so heavily on our heart. Be a a rock in the shoe of any person that is not yet saved so that as they're going about their life, they cannot help but wonder what happens if I die tonight. And that that will lead them to anxiety, that will lead them to depression, that will lead them to just feeling lost. But we know, Lord, that this morning they have heard the way out. That even though there is something that, uh, even though there is judgment waiting at the end of this, there is a way to be counted as righteous, not because we are good, but because you are good. We pray this all in the name of your most holy Son who came to die on our behalf, Christ Jesus. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.